Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, or whenever you tune in. My name is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I am here in Harlem. And I'm Seth Rodney. I'm a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Art Blog and the author of last year's The Personalization of the Museum Visit. And I'm coming to you for perhaps the last time from the South Bronx. I plan to move on Monday up the Hudson River Valley. So um, the next time I address you, I'll be in a completely different surroundings, hopefully. Um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, and today we are just kind of maintaining, progressing, advancing our thread on sort of the, the state of the country. And um, I, I think the, the thrust of today's discussion is, is going to be institutional force, um, how and when it gets used and under what circumstances and how legitimate it is. And, um, but there's a particular take on that that, that Seth uh, had suggested that we're, we're going to look into. So, Seth, uh, since I'm introducing this pretty badly right now and, and made it way more complicated <laughs> than it needs to be, do you want to just, just lead us into it, please? <laughs> sure. So I serve on the National Advisory Council for the Mississippi Museum of Art. Uh, one of the other council members, and there, me there are many um, uh, uh, people like Franklin Sermons, and uh, who's at uh, the Perez Art Museum, and um, various, uh, and Catherine Morris, who's at the Brooklyn Museum, uh, and Terry Carbone, who's at um, uh, the Mellon Foundation. There are various people who are threaded through the arts and museum scenes. One of these is Elaine Gurian. Elaine is a consultant and adv advisor to museums and visitor centers and has written a book, uh, well, it's really a collection of her essays, Civilizing the Museum, which came out uh, via Routledge in 2006. She's someone who has done a lot of thinking over the course of her 82 years of life about museums and how they operate and, and what they mean. So she sent out uh, an email to a bunch of people on that advisory council list um, in the wake of a Zoom conference call we all had, I think, about two weeks ago. It's a, she said, it's a long email, and I sent it round to uh, you all to have a look at because she said some things that are really provocative. So I'll start off with one, reading one of the paragraphs and then maybe excerpts from a couple others. So she says, so I ask not only tentatively, but also mindful that what I'm asking is unfair. Quote, can we find a place for those who regret their Trump vote and want to cautiously return to teaching their children about the value of truth and loving one's neighbor? Unquote. Quote, do those who finally get a deserved chance at leadership have a place at the table for those who abandoned them before, unquote. And I'm asking because if these tentative returnees do not find a hand out, they will retreat into being bystanders and collaborators. 
the citizens most feared by the Jews. And she identifies herself as uh, a, a daughter of a Holocaust survivor. And, and to continue what she wrote, and if the middle retreats, the armed crazies egged on by our current president will take more and more of our attention and fear. And let me skip down towards the end. She says, uh, so as we expose the police for what they are and point out mm-hmm. their egregious and disproportionate retaliation towards our black brethren, and while we must defund their reach and repurpose the police to a much smaller task, we must, must at the same time praise and protect the good ones for supporting our necessary democracy as they did in Charleston and have continued to do when the armed right has shown up. We cannot be without a force aligned with American democracy or the militia will become that force. The police have been indiscriminately killing our black brothers and sisters and must be stopped, but we cannot be without armed someone in the service of the Constitution. Fixing while not destroying seems an impossible task, but there we are. And I'm asking the team I am sympathetic with to be more just and forgiving than their oppressors, and I stand by that ask. So... Mm. So what do we think of that? So I read the piece a couple of times and I had some questions. Mm-hmm. And one question was who Elaine was talking to mm-hmm. in this piece. Um, and then also I didn't find her, even though she repeated in different ways throughout it, I didn't think it was an unfair ask in any mm. manner, shape or form. I thought it was a, a call to being present in this moment. And to really kind of consider the history. So there's this moment where she says, I think in the third paragraph, where the American-born children of Holocaust-affected parents are much written about. They carry the reality of the safety of their birth country and the guilt their parents carry about that very safety in their bones. They are trained as youngsters to fear and flee even when there's no real threat. And I really that really stayed with me. Because she's pu- she's pushing against that fear and and not wanting to flee, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, to really be present in this moment, to really kind of to give this moment a different kind of context. I guess this is the first piece that I've read. Like like this isn't isn't basically this is an email. It's not even a, an article. And I'm just looking 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 through it and feeling very much like this com- makes complete sense. She's mm. trying to sound the alarm in a way that I think gives this moment some space to if we don't watch it things are going to get progressively worse well so she, i didn't think she says that there'll be a backlash that's what she's really concerned about right like a backlash like the kind we saw at, at reconstruction where basically we, we start out with these ideals mm. like we are going to defund the police we are going to change the criminal justice system we are going to um uh get rid of racist confederate uh, insignia and and associations, but there's going to be a backlash, is what she's saying. Yeah, but isn't the backlash already happening? I mean, the backlash has been happening for a moment. I actually, I don't know that there's been much. I mean, amongst the American electorate, there has not been a huge backlash at this point. But I mean, she's saying, but she's saying st- it's coming. That's what I think she's saying. So no, he- that's the fear that it's coming. But I uh, mean, at this point, mm. there isn't. So, you know. I think past you, performance, past performance is not a predictor of future outcomes. Right? True. I mean, so mm-hmm. so I, one of the reasons that Trump's poll numbers are sinking down to his his floor, which is mm-hmm. you know depending on on whose research you follow, is probably about something like thirty eight percent, which is t- too many people, but it is you know that's where we're at as a country. 
uh, one of the reasons his poll numbers are sinking is because of his stand on race and how he's handled the George Flo- the the protests following uh, George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, more than sixty percent of Americans, including white Americans, believe that Black Americans are unfairly profiled and singled out by the police. More than sixty percent. That so that, that I, said I, something. I'm just not sure what it says on the ground. Well, it says it says something. It says a well, you know, it says a lot actually. I mean, if you were are to, people if you willing have, to do things that are going to make substantial changes in the body politic of the U.S. That's what I mean. So, so for the it, NFL says they're going to play. <laughs> um, uh, the National Negro Anthem at every game right. seems ridiculous to me. It sounds right. like right. I don't yeah, understand. It, of course it's dumb. And I think that, um, that for me, backlash isn't just, it isn't the pendulum swinging this way in the traditional way. It's these little things that sound like they're incremental changes, but they're not really. Mm. Do you know? Mm. So that's where my brain is right now about this. And I've been thinking of so examples would, of that. But what would real change look like? I mean, what's the threshold? That's a, that's a very good point. I mean, ending, you, we ending, it quali- last. ending qualified immunity for police. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that's up for discussion. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean that like serious congressmen and senators are talking about this. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not, I, I just, you know, I, I understand the skepticism, and I'm not saying actually. I don't mean to make you the representative of this position, Stephen. Hey, I don't care. All, so let's go. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually. I'm saying I don't necessarily. Uh, I'm saying it would be inaccurate, not because I'm uh-huh, concerned right. about offending you, but mm-hmm. because I'm concerned about being inaccurate about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think that the, I understand skepticism, but cynicism is not a useful. Uh, heuristic, I think, for this moment, and so I, I, it's certainly true uh-huh. that that um, America, as a country, white America in particular, has consistently disappointed itself and mm-hmm. and certainly the current generation with the way that it is handled mm-hmm. uh, the racialization of its citizens. So I I get that, but that doesn't mean that we're not getting better at it. I mean, absolutely. See, it's hard to articulate and really kind of feel out and to keep that space for the possible, the impossible mm -hmm. in some cases, in terms of that change. So I'm, I'm doing my best as a responsible person to come out of my mouth and my head and my heart with what I'm seeing. And, and sometimes admittedly what has gone on before. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had a conversation with a woman um, yesterday and we were talking about this idea of, the movement sort of referencing the previous movements, right? In terms of language, who they quote, um, how they organize and so forth. And these things are really in, um, exciting to me. And and I'm just trying to not close a window on something that could be really important because it doesn't look like it's progress to me personally, right? Because some things aren't necessarily going to resonate with everybody in this moment. So, um, and it's interesting because usually I'm on the other side of this kind of argument where I'm the... Um, super positive or, um, come on, this is great. No, no, they moved it. No, they tore down that building. It's great. You know, and here I'm less optimistic. I'm more just quietly sitting and listening and thinking about what I think, and maybe this is the problem, real in, in quotes and 
um, red italics, <laughs> what change looks like. I'm still thinking that through. That makes sense. And I actually want to tie, because I mean, Seth uh, asked for us to, to consider the piece. So I want to, I want to mm-hmm. bring back my point to that, which is I can't, it's hard for me to imagine why the position she's arguing for would even encroach upon the unreasonable because and let me let me let me ask let me let me, let me let me let me jump in here and say, and say why i think that it could okay and and this is what i think and Stephen asked a version of this question earlier it's like i when you said something about i don't see why any part of this would be taken as being unfair she says this might be an unfair question i i get why it's unfair because okay. what what we're asking people to do or what she's asking people to do essentially is people who have been brutalized and hurt and harmed i didn't say fair by the way that's not well, that, that, okay. that's not yeah no no but please continue but i don't yeah. my position's not about it being fair or not okay Okay, gotcha. What she said, what she asked is that people who've been hurt or brutalized to allow people who basically were complicit with that hurt and brutalization to have a seat at the table, right? So the people who were basically the Trump voters who are like, um, you know, fair to middling sort of, well, I'm not voting for him because he's racist, but I'm voting for him because, you know, tax cuts. And I'm voting okay. for him because he's like finally putting America first. And he's finally standing up to China. Like basically she's saying... <laughs> Have those people be in conference with you when we look at questions about how to repurpose the police. Like that could be taken by some mm. people as being unfair because you're, you're like, those are the people I could imagine people at a town hall meeting saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the, you are the guys who when Eric Garner said, I can't breathe, and was choked to death by a police officer. You were the guys who were like, leave police alone. Blue lives matter. Right? Okay, so can, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question? So mm-hmm. Why is it okay to use a flat term like the police, mm-hmm. and it's not okay to use a flat term, which, to be clear, I don't think it is okay, mm-hmm. to use a term like Muslims or mm-hmm. blacks or fill in the blank, mm-hmm. any group mm. that is constituted by millions of people, mm-hmm. why are we allowed to indiscriminately impugn millions of people mm-hmm. and identify every aspect of their life as their role, as their socially constructed role? The police, the police, the police, the police do this, the police do that. Mm. The police are millions of individuals. Mm. We, as as a progressive I would absolutely want to throw a Molotov cocktail onto a stage of someone that was making any kind of claim about Muslims mm. or blacks mm. or whatever mm. other large-scale group. Now, granted, there are a billion Muslims in the world. There are not a billion police officers. Right. So I suppose it's a more egregious yes. uh, erasure of individuality. Yes. But yet it is an egregious erasure. Not yeah, all Trump yeah. voters are the same. They're just not. Right, They're no. not. I don't, I mean, no. as deplorable and stupid mm-hmm. as it is that, I mean, I, <laughs> that someone would vote for Trump. I just, right. I can't, it's a very ungenerous way to describe it, but I, that's how I feel about it. Right. It was just a stupid vote. Right. I do stupid shit too. Right. I don't want to be judged by the worst moment of my life for the rest of my life. Right. 
Arguing for that. So I want to mm-hmm. answer something that you mentioned earlier was like, why is it okay? Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's not right. And it's not okay. But it's the history. And it's the way that we reduce people to sort of understanding them. And what sorry, I think sorry, so, sorry, sorry. Stephen, when, when you say it's not right, it's not okay. What is it? To reduce somebody to one thing. Okay. okay gotcha. Right. But it's, it's shorthand that we've been allowed to get away with forever. Mm. And when I go back to what Elaine said, um, you know, about, you know, this is unfair. It's like, well, no, she's just asking us to be present. And maybe being present mm. is unfair to a lot of people because then we can't rely on the shorthands to describe people or describe mm. the police and these sorts of things. We can mm. say the, these things mm. without being culpable or being responsible for what we say. Mm. And so I think that that's why that particular kind of shorthand exist because um, it takes a lot more work to be present. It takes a lot more work to not mm-hmm. want to reduce somebody to their gender, their sexuality, their um, race, or what have you, over and over again. Mm-hmm. It can be exhausting because in this society, and I suspect in a lot of societies, we're not taught that complexity, that kind of complex thinking, right? We want to know where the enemy is. It's the police. We want to know where <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the oppressor is. You know, a system populated by people who call themselves white, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not right. And it's not okay. And I think that this is a moment where, if I may, Travis, it could be a better moment if we if we kind of learn that lesson. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that and makes a lot of sense. And it's a, re, it's a lesson you have to relearn and relearn and relearn because it's just reflex. When I walk past the police station in the morning to go to the park and they're standing out there or whatever, I'm looking at them and I'm going, they're humans. They're Mm. like everybody else. They're humans. Mm. But then I'll see, you know, I might see something that that triggers something in my brain about their personality. Somebody might might say something that as I'm walking past and I go, fuck, I just don't want to think about you as (laughs) what you just said a second ago. Mm. You know? So, yeah, it's, it's work. It's work. When you are in, and this is a question meant to both of you, uh, directed at both of you, when you're in a moment of sort of impugning someone's uh, actions because you're sort of morally indignant about it, you know, like sort of you're getting worked up, which I I can I can get worked up. I did a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the defund the police moment, you know, like where you're sort of on a, you know, you feel righteous. Yeah, it feels gross to me to feel righteous about large groups of people period Mm. like i literally feel kind of grossed out by myself Mm. when i'm Mm -hmm. in those moments so like even just i mean even to the point where just now where i was analogizing if we said muslims if we said blacks like Mm. that kind of moral force behind such a large group of human beings makes me really uncomfortable because that is rooted that, that she was talking about brown shirts and hate and all that stuff everyone if who, whoever our listeners are and and we do have some at this point if you are feeling morally indignant and righteous over a group of of other humans that are constituted of millions of people in those moments you are closer to people at nuremberg rallies than you are when you were going about your day and dealing with people on an individual mm, level mm. like we just because we are progressive does not mean that we are immune to uh moral panic and it does not mean that we are immune to um unfairly maligning and no that absolutely. leading to the potential for violence 
Yeah, like absolutely. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I agree with that. I totally it, this agree is a them. scary moment for the country. I feel, yeah. and a, a scary moment for the people whose politics I share and whose goals and agendas I admire and, mm-hmm. in some sense, love or aspire or or even you know aspire to enact in my own life. Like we have to stop with the relentless finger pointing and maligning of large groups of people it's poison so i want to say this uh, and, and and thank you both for for making these points because i think you're right travis um i mean you didn't you weren't saying it in an accusatory way but i took it as a kind of personal accusation that i mm. oh yeah i, I, I don't do, mean it that way no no, no i know but <laughs> yeah. i do i do i do mm-hmm. that i do that i do that on twitter i do like say you know Goddamn cops, goddamn police, what mm-hmm. are they doing? Yeah. La, 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 la. One of the things that I'd said to someone else years ago and now seems quite apropos to re-up is that adrenaline, someone has written that adrenaline is actually the worst drug in the world because mm-hmm. it's the one that makes people sort of most out of control. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say it can. It, it can. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, that's that's debatable. Yeah, But I want to say that righteous indignation is also one of the worst, um, in some ways. Um, what's the word? Stimulants. One of the. I mean, Travis I bet called, adrenaline is a part of that. I bet. I bet adrenaline is a part of that. Right. Actually. Right. Right. right yeah. Psycho. Psycho. Psychosomatically. Yeah. Probably. Um, I mean. Travis, the way Travis said it was, he used mm-hmm. the term moral panic. But I think that mm-hmm. righteous indignation is sort of the same thing mm-hmm. or other side mm-hmm. of the coin. People, especially in my Twitter feed and on Facebook a lot, are now just inflamed, just, just, just possessed by righteous indignation, right? Top to bottom. And mm-hmm. I too am, sli- I'm wary of that because, uh, that's when the pitchforks and the, um, and the torches come out, right? I mean, that's when we 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 start quote unquote making examples of people. And I think it becomes I think Elaine's fear is that uh when this kind of thing happens, right? And when it becomes easy for us to do the thing where we say, those people over there, those blacks, they're mm-hmm. the they're the problem. That if we have an armed citizenry the 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 everything is just but a bit more dangerous and i'm specifically mm-hmm. here thinking oh, yeah. about i don't know if you guys saw this but just the other day actually i think i remember her name it was her name wait her name was Karen. jillian no jillian win 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 or something the woman who pulled a gun on uh, a, a, a black woman and her daughters um, when they were uh, shot oh, at the Chipotle. I only saw the headline. Yeah, at the Chipotle. Yeah, like, apparently they got into some kerfuffle. And mm-hmm. the woman, a uh, black woman with her daughters, um, shooting the video with her phone. A uh, white woman comes out of a minivan holding a gun, a handgun, cocking it and, mm-hmm. and pointing it at the mother and daughter and telling them to back up, back up and let her get away. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It could have really gone south. I mean, yeah, luckily absolutely. she didn't pull the trigger, and yeah. they did get arrested later on a, uh, I think, uh, uh, on a charge of felonious uh, brandishing a weapon, threatening someone, something like that. Mm. 
But that's the danger that Elaine's talking about. That's it. Yeah. Well, no, no, actually, please, Stephen, go ahead, please. Yeah, I just wanted to mention something earlier that you said about the inflamed folks on your Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. And the, the issue I have is that flames go out. So you might be really super happy, super engaged with something, and then suddenly the passion's gone. Um, someone's name is no longer um, trending, and you—the very thing that you were upset about—continues to go on, and you feel helpless, mm. or you feel like it's outside of you, right? Mm. So I think a lot about how I like adrenaline because I don't think adrenaline is necessarily bad or good. I think that adrenaline can you be used by an athlete, for example, or a person mm. writing a book. It doesn't have to be. Um, attached to the thing that we're talking about here. But that what I'm pushing for in myself personally and with other folks, Hmm. when I'm conscious of it, is looking future, you know, making changes now, but also thinking about the future. What Hmm. will this moment look like in 50 years, 60 years? How can we put some things in place? How can we change the electoral college? How can we stop voter suppression? How can we build on some really good things that are happening right now without resulting to Everybody needs to get a gun <laughs> because mm, that seems mm. to be that that's a large chunk of the red in my um, red in my brain. It's like everybody feels like they're going to be unsafe. What are they going to do if mm. they have the ability to buy a gun and get a gun or just be less like with the mask or what have you? It feels le- you feel less safe anyway. Right. So mm. it's heightened. This moment's mm-hmm. heightened by that. And and now that you bring that up, I, I do want to, I hope I'm not, I hope he's okay with me sharing this, but um, a friend that, we, well, maybe I won't mention his name, but a friend that we have in common, Stephen, Stephen, has told me that he's going to get a gun and that he's going to like, you know, this guy, right? And that he's going <laughs> to get trained on it and do whatever. And I'm like, Lauren, I mean, shit. <laughs> Larry. 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 I, I said to him, um, you do realize the statistics are that, uh, the statistics show that gun owners are more likely to have their own weapons turned on them. They are more likely to die than non-gun owners. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> if we had that conversation, I'm walking down the street in Lennox and I said, well, I'm just going to die. He goes, what right. do you mean? I said, okay, I'll go with you to the gun range. And I'm interested in feeling how a gun might feel. I said, but I'll never have a gun. I said, no. someone pulls a gun out on me no. and they decide to shoot. I'm dead. Right. And I have become so clear about that right. after that conversation with Lawrence because yeah, yeah. he was the kind of the last person I think would go for, do that, right? Right. It's yeah. just crazy. crazy. <laughs> I, I am unfortunately, I haven't looked at it recently enough uh, mm-hmm. to be fully armed for for the a counterexample here, but I will tell you there are counterexamples. There are definitely statistics. Uh, there's a, a pretty well-known anthropologist that studied this, expecting a different uh, result. There are a lot of crimes that are stopped by uh, gun owners. Lots, mm, really? lots of violent crimes. Yes. Mm. To put my cards on the table, I am definitely in favor of, and I'm not saying this to be careful. I'm saying this because I think it's dangerous. I am definitely in favor of far stricter gun controls. And I think that the state, and and this is why it's very important to have police reform, because a state must maintain some kind of monopoly on legitimate violence. Agreed. Because if if everyone is feels like they need to 
you know, have recourse to violent action, then mm-hmm. that's what, that's the wild west. We know what that looks like, right? We've, we tell stories about those times. Mm-hmm. I uh, blame the movies. I blame the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I blame the movies. I, I blame having too many entrances and exits in schools. That's why. That's why we have school oh, shootings. Interesting. Yeah, you, know, you, know movies, who's, so. you know who said that, right? <laughs> you know who said that? The lieutenant governor of Texas. <laughs> I love the pretzels logic <laughs> yeah, that happens. That, here. Yeah, that yeah, imbecile yeah. said that. Yeah. yeah. So you know the, the thing is, uh, I mean, obviously, the cat's out of the bag. You know, Lawrence getting a gun. Um, you know, I I get it. Um, even though I think it's a, sort of an eg, a pristine example of why this period of time is so dangerous mm. because. Institutions are losing their legitimacy. Mm. Yes. And mm-hmm. when that happens, people feel like they have to rely upon themselves right. mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the protections and the security that one would typically look uh, to uh, mm-hmm. from, from a government or a police force. Right. Um, and and that's that's a scary place to be. Mm. And you know, you know, the things change slowly and then all of a sudden. And, mm. and I have to say, in my lifetime, in my conscious political lifetime, um, so, you know, obviously not being a child of the 60s, things feel very precarious in the country to me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, it, it, not, not in a, like, there's going to be a civil war, not in this kind of way, but just that you will get more instances of violence, uh, visited upon, you know, from citizens on other citizens. And that, you know, at that moment that we, that we are delegitima- delegitimizing our police force, mm-hmm. um, that becomes even more dangerous. I think. Yeah. 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 That, that lack of, um, lack of faith and institutions has been eroding for a while. Mm-hmm, I think sure, the, yeah. I definitely feel like the Trump administration had so, sort of escalated it in so many ways. Accelerated um, that that accelerated, erosion. Yeah, so yep. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. And so mm-hmm. yeah, this and so I'm arguing, I'm trying to find a way. I feel like I'm, you know, the the image I would like for you guys to have in your head is me rifling through a bunch of papers until I go, Eureka, and I find the paper. But there's gotta be some <laughs> other way to think about the way that we are engaging this this these violences you know and, the, right. and these ideas because i can't live in fear it's just too yeah. mind-boggling and too um it, it there's no air in it it's exhausting right. yeah. there's yeah. no air in it there's no possibility yeah. the other day i was talking about something and someone was telling me that'll never happen and i wanted to sit with her and, and talk with her for about 30 years and say <laughs> so many people have said <laughs> things are impossible until they right. were possible Right. And so giving that energy to the impossible is yet another light extinguished, you know, a, another um, brain cell, another synaptic, not synaptic gap, but just some way of not understanding or trying to understand that there are other ways to do things. Mm-hmm. And so I really, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is a, a well, for personally for me, it's a, um, a very challenging moment not to succumb to fear, mm-hmm. you know, in my neighborhood, on the train or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I can't can't i won't you know i just don't know i'm just building my arsenal right now uh, to use the language of that <laughs> but some That's other funny. way to think about this moment you know or these yeah. moments so yeah. well you know you know steve i want to say Stephen, that you've helped me come to a point of clarity specifically about the gun thing and just in saying that 
in that situation, you realize that you're just going to die. I think that I don't want to, but yeah. <laughs> that, I think, that, but I think that that's my position too. I think that mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, I'm not going to go out in the world armed. I'm not doing that. That's some bullshit. Um, yeah. I if it if it does come down to it, then yeah, I'm going to die. But I'm not going to live in that kind of fear. I mean, there may be other kinds of fear I'll carry around, right. with me, but not that one. I, yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like, um, so I've already had all of my midlife crises, I think. Mm. Um, I just haven't <laughs> bought a car or anything. And I'm like, I can't get the gun and be like waiting at the door. You know? <laughs> <laughs> come, come on. Right, you know? Right. I just on, like, man. okay, you know what? <laughs> you value this more well, than I do. Here's my wallet. <laughs> and And I think, well, and I also think that part of what leads to the wisdom of that decision is that we do not live in a very violent society right now as far as actual st- your statistical likelihood of, of mm-hmm. being gunned down is is incredibly low now there are uh, you know I, I i'm bracketing for the sake of conversation symbolic violences which i think are real and have real psychic consequences for sure you know we it's a separate conversation but your actual you know the the threat of violence against your person walking down the street regardless of the skin that you wear is very low slightly higher if you are not white and male well mm-hmm. i mean just white in general i guess mm-hmm. that applies to white women as well mm-hmm. so obviously you know i, I get you know but then there's the thing i always you know whenever i'm saying something there's the other thing another track running in my head like you know, you're talking about sort of low level fear and, you know, you can throw, you know, I can sit here and I can throw statistics at you and say like, hey, you know, your chance of having a violent police encounter is this, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But the truth is that as a black male in particular and as a, as a brown body in general, there is just a slightly elevated threat level that you are constantly dealing with. Mm-hmm. Duck bites is what you called them in one conversation, mm-hmm. Seth, I remember. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just the culture, the society, there's just sort of like a background hum mm-hmm. of, oh, yeah. Of, yeah, of, absolutely. of actual threat. threat. And of course that takes yeah. a toll. Yeah. And of course it affects your ability to be generous. It affects your ability to be understanding. So, you know, I get that. It's reflected in music and the writing. It's reflected in movies. It's reflected in a lot of different things. And sometimes when I'm with other black men who are willing to engage that conversation on some level, it's it can be uh, breathtaking in, mm-hmm. in the sense that it just doesn't allow for... It just for, It's just exhausting. Yeah. Mm-hmm exhausting but it's again yeah. and i don't want to well actually you know what let me see if i can just put this this way and see where the where it falls that we're co-creators here so we cannot absolve ourselves of the responsibility to change the way that we engage people and how we want to be in the world so if we can't imagine anything better here it is this is what mm-hmm. we get do you know so mm-hmm. i mean that sounds i don't care how it sounds i i believe it actually i believe it yeah. strongly mm-hmm. yeah i believe that too Maybe I can just end my portion of the podcast with this story, this anecdote from my childhood. The first time I got to America from Jamaica, I was, well, when I came here to live, is what I mean to say. I was six or seven years old. And I remember it taking a, me a while to, to learn, I think my parents had to tell me this a few times, to wear my shoes when I when I went out into the street to, you know, play mm-hmm. with the neighborhood boys. Uh, so I was, I was very, very new to this culture. And I remember playing something with 
some game. I think we were sitting down on a sidewalk with two other boys. Once was one was named one was named Terence, and the other was maybe maybe it was Ralphie. Maybe I, I, I'm not clear on the second person, but I remember they had just finished playing the game. Maybe it was chess or checkers or something. And Ralphie had beaten Terence, and Terence was sitting closer to me. His back was to me, and I was looking at at, at Ralph and something like the game ended and I was waiting for my turn to go. So the guy was supposed to play Ralphie next and Terrence wouldn't get up. And so I just tapped him on the shoulder. Like, Hey, you know, game's over. Like, you know, and he whirled on me and I think he had been drinking a Coke can or something. And he whirled on me and I think he like ripped the Coke can and like went after me with it. Like he actually like swiped at me and like kind of cut me. I don't remember if it was my face or my hand or something, but I remember being one surprised at the fury of his attack and Mm -hmm. really confused about why he would do that. Like all Mm -hmm. I did was tap him on the shoulder and then I think he calmed down. I think we kind of went back to playing. And I remember saying to the other friend, I think again, I'm not sure, but I think it was Ralph. I'm saying, I don't understand what just happened. And he's like, oh, well, you know, he's just got a temper on him. I'm like, and I was just, <laughs> I was just really flabbergasted by that. Like, I didn't understand why that was permissible and why someone would mm. like make sense of that. And mm. later on, I remember having a conversation again, maybe with the same friend about Terrence. And, I was, and he was saying something like, oh, yeah, Terrence, he's really going to be something. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he's, he's an awful person. He's like, no, one day he's going to be like president of the United States. And I thought, how can you possibly think that? Because he thought that he had ambition. But I thought, if you have ambition, but you are this angry and you can't control your anger, how, like, how are you going to go anywhere? But that, what to me, was a kind of introduction to American culture, right? Where we value ambition and anger. Like, we actually valorize that kind of, I don't know, willingness to defend the self against all odds kind of thing. I'm still kind of confused by that. But that, to me, was, and it's not all of American culture, but it was definitely my introduction to it. It's an American masculinity thing. I've had similar moments when I was growing up. It was just like, boys will be boys. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be that kind of boy. Exactly. I'm not that, I'm not that kind of boy. I can't be that kind of boy. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I think turning the Coke can into an impromptu shiv definitely is sort of a next level form of aggression right? that is not something to be admired anywhere. Right. <laughs> but, you know, Absolutely. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you were a Spartan or something. But, yeah, honestly. Uh, uh. So, uh, <laughs> my friends, as always, thank you very much for the conversation. And I'll, it's been uh, awesome. I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Peace out. Later.